Hi, my name is Emma Seligman. I'm the writer and director of Shiva Baby. And the last thing I prayed for was that John King um, gets a long vacation this year. Hello, I'm JC, and my co-host is Jess, and this is Pray For Us. Welcome. It's a comedy podcast about understanding religion, specifically Judaism, in the 21st century, hosted by us, two nice Jewish girls from opposite sides of the country. Jess, hi. JC, hi. We Speaking of being from opposite sides of the country, I'm in LA right now, and you're in New York. I'm in New York. Yeah, I'm in my parents' basement. My brother's bar mitzvah sign-in board is behind me, along with my old Guitar Hero rock band drum set. It's really a sight. Seeing the footage from your childhood bedroom is something I will never forget. It's truly a time capsule. I am trying to get JC to post a tour on her Instagram story of her bedroom because it's like nothing changed as soon as you left. Like, I feel like your mother left nothing untouched. You have, like, Polaroid pictures. You have, like, a beach mural and, like, a bunch of camp yeah. shit. A lot of camp shit. A lot of, like, knickknacks. A lot of stuffed animals. I still have, like, a T.Y. Beanie Baby collection that's, like, bigger than Those yours. Those are going to be worth a lot one day. That's what we thought, right? Of course, they're worth, like, absolutely nothing. <laughs> I'm still holding on to my Princess Di bear and my Jerry Garcia bear. Now that but... the crown is on the Princess Diana storyline, you might be able to cash in on that. Maybe. I looked on eBay once and it was like someone was trying to sell theirs for like nine grand, but like someone else was like successfully selling theirs for like nine dollars. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, I think that there are better things to invest in, like Bitcoin. You're a Bitcoin investor. It's funny you mentioned that Bitcoin went like skyrocketed it today. Did? I think it's at like 17.5 grand, which is. Great. Some say I should get out now, but I'm going to keep going. I'm going to keep holding. I think it's going to be up to 20 grand by the end of 2020. Wow. And we're just off to the races. Don't forget, you need to let me know when so, it, it's a good time to buy. I will. It's not a good time to buy right now because it's so high. But maybe in a few weeks, it'll drop back down to like 15 or 14. And then I'll, I'll okay, let you know. keep me posted. Anyway, today on the show, we have Emma Seligman. Emma Seligman. She is so lovely. Filmmaker, director, brilliant mind, writer, director, Jew, writer, Canadian. I honestly, in that order, I'm so impressed with her. After we finished the interview, JC was like, I didn't realize she's younger than us. She's already made her own full length feature and sold it. Like, that is an incredible feat. I almost can't believe I it. I just, I love talking to people who make me feel so unaccomplished. It's my favorite thing. Is that thing. why we're friends? <laughs> yes. Because I'm so successful. We're both very successful in our yes, own right. So, Jess, you you were going to bring up a Shiva, a Zoom Shiva that you went to because Emma's feature film and her short film, Shiva Baby, is centered around a young woman who goes to a Shiva and things unfold. You'll hear about it more in our talk. But yeah, it's interesting that after we did the interview, I actually attended a Zoom funeral in Shiva for the same person. And the circumstances of the death were unfortunate, but it was an older person. So it was like one of those celebration of life sort of things. But it's funny because it was obviously a bunch of Jews. And I was like, even though we can't all be together and we're not like gathering and like sharing food together and lamenting, this is like the most Jewish thing I've ever done. Like everyone is like talking over each other on the Shiva. They're all <laughs> telling stories. They're all like completely like unabashedly themselves. Jewish people just like, like older Jewish people, especially just like don't give a fuck. And it's just so funny to see everyone mourning in their own home because it's like this very serious, somber subject matter. And then you're like eating dinner <laughs> and like other people are like, have the camera so close to their face. I was like, this is such a mess. But it was very healing. And I'm grateful that like we were able to at least have Zoom. Obviously, it's better to be in person. I probably wouldn't have attended this person's funeral because it would have required me to fly across country. So being able... May I ask who it, it was? It was my great aunt. So okay. having... Sorry for your loss. You. I appreciate that. So 
having Zoom as an option was nice because I was actually able to participate in the Shiva. And what's funny is there was actually like several group chats and text message groups that were going during the Zoom. And it's almost like gives people (laughs) the opportunity to like gossip and chat afterward. And then like at one point, like some family members, I don't want to say who, had their own little like debrief after the shiva and they were like catching up and chatting oh, I was no. like nothing can stop jewish people from being jewish people i just thought it was so fucking funny and it was beautiful to see everyone like all my family members and stuff like that but i definitely think that my favorite part of being jewish is shivas like i love the way that Jew- judaism approaches death i think it's really healing I completely agree. Although I haven't been to that many, thankfully, definitely not complaining Mm -hmm. about that. The ones that I have been to have been definitely more of a celebration of life than other death rituals. Yeah, thankfully. It's funny because I was thinking about a conversation I had with one of my roommates a couple of years ago. She is not Jewish. And for some reason, the subject came up and she was like, I've been thinking about death a lot lately. It just feels so weird. Do you ever think about death? And I was like, yeah, literally every day. I imagine several scenarios in which I could die or someone I love could die. Like that's just part of life. (laughs) And she was like, I never think that way. I was like, I think this is like my anxiety or maybe like my Jewish like spilkies or something. I I do think it is anxiety and definitely like the Jewish neuroses that come with having anxiety. Mm-hmm. But I remember like when I first started going to therapy, I said to my therapist, like, I think that I'm going to die every mm-hmm. day. Like, I think something's going to happen to me and I think I'm going to die every single day. And she was like, you just need to remember a symptom of death is not thinking you're going to die. Yeah. That is not when you die is when you're thinking you're going to die. It's so true. And I was like, oh, all right. But then every time I have anxiety, I'm, I mean, it still crosses my mind like, oh, it's a heart attack. Oh, like I'm having a stroke. Oh, I'm having, you know, an aneurysm, whatever. <laughs> like thinking you're going to die is not a symptom of having Exactly. Aneurysm, it's luckily. just the voice <laughs> in your head. I mean, it's good to be aware of um, dangerous situations so that you can avoid them. But before we get to our chat with Emma... There is something I want to bring to all of our listeners' attention that is very important and very serious. It appears that someone gave us a (laughs) one-star review on Apple Podcasts. So if it was you, kindly fist yourself. And if it wasn't you, could you please give us a good rating on Apple Podcasts? It helps us so much. Uh, Actually, I don't know if it does. No, it does. It does. I would just love some more reviews, some more ratings. Like if you enjoy this, even an inkling, just throw us five stars. Even if you like us only a little, just throw us five stars. Um, You don't need to write a a review if you want to. That would be fucking awesome. I would say, though, if you are going to give us a one-star review, please write a comment so that we at least know why. Otherwise, that's shady. Jess, I know why. I know why the person gave us a one-star review. Because of our upspeak? It's because of our upspeak. We're working on it. If you guys... We're working on our upspeak. And if you don't know what upspeak is, it's like when you hear us say, so Judaism was a big part of your life until you were an adult. (laughs) But we were wondering, like, what was your bat mitzvah theme? You know, it's kind of like that. (laughs) I apologize. It's mostly my fault. I'm guilty. She's guilty, but I'm guilty of I copy her speak. I'm a big old imitator when it comes to my speech Mm -hmm. patterns. So. Um, sorry if we offended you. Give us a positive review. This chat has gone yeah. on too long. Jess, I think it's time for... It's time, time for, for a chat with, with Emma. Emma. We hope you guys enjoy. I think you will. <laughs> Hi there. We're JC and Jess. This is Pray For Us. It's a podcast about practicing an ancient religion in the modern day. We're talking about how we observe Judaism when it comes to holidays, relationships, food, and everything in between. Today, we're talking to Emma Seligman. Emma is a Canadian writer and director whose first feature, Shiva Baby, about a young queer Jewish woman who runs into her sugar daddy at Shiva, was selected to screen at South by Southwest, Melbourne International Melbourne, Film Festival. Melbourne, it's Melbourne. Melbourne, Outfest LA, <laughs> Deauville American Film Festival, and Toronto International Basically Film Festival. Basically an all-around... Superstar is what we're getting at. Emma, welcome to the pod. (laughs) Thank you for having me. Did I pronounce any of those cities correctly? (laughs) 
Yeah, all of them. Oh, thank you. I think. I feel like during quarantine, (laughs) I've like, my speaking skills have just simply diminished because I I don't talk to anyone except for my boyfriend and Jessica. So (laughs) (laughs) my vocabulary has just gone out the window. Like, I feel like I'm just constantly using the same four words to describe things. and, And they've just changed their meaning over time to like be able to cover more bases. You know what I mean? Exactly. Kind of like Yiddish. (laughs) <laughs> do you speak Yiddish? I don't, but I just feel like it's peppered into my, well, my current vocabulary because I'm staying with my parents during quarantine. Um, and my, my mom drops in Yiddish quite a bit. She also doesn't speak it, um, but my grandma did. So, you know. My mom and Bubby were the same way. I sometimes find myself saying like, oi or oi ve, and I was like, that's fine. But the other day, like I kept saying oi ve schmear, and I was like, stop. You sound like you're 87 years old. Who are you? <laughs> Wait, what's the schmear part? I don't know. <laughs> I think it's just another version of it. Like, yeah. like of all, I, that's so funny. I yeah. grew up, my mom was, my mom used to say oi ve ba, but I think it was I like an inside joke with her family. Like, I don't think it's a real thing. I don't know. I think those exist too, like, you know, because I feel like adding I-N-G to any Yiddish word is totally an English, like Americanization oh. of the word, you know, so I feel like lots of families have sort of like added to their to their Yiddish traditions by, I don't know, like my my grandma always said like, kanena hora poo poo poo, because it's like spitting. Like, anyway, so I feel like a lot of families have their amendments (laughs) to the the Yiddish words. Passed down from generation to generation. So what part of Canada are you in right now? I'm in Toronto, where I'm from. So Toronto, not Toronto. (laughs) Uh, It goes both ways. My mom actually calls it Toronto, but I think most people I know say Toronto. They drop Drop the second T. Yeah. Gotcha. <laughs> it's so funny. I'm in LA, in Santa Monica. So is JC's in Silver Lake. That has nothing to do with dropping the T, but mm. I. <laughs> she asked where we were. <laughs> oh, I didn't hear that. Silver Lake, yeah. yes. Back to <laughs> Toronto, really quickly. I think it's funny because I have a lot of friends who, and by a lot, I mean like two friends who are from Canada, but from Montreal. And I find that I now say Montreal the way they say it. And like previously I said Montreal, mm-hmm. you know, I say Montreal, mm-hmm. but now I'm going to start saying Toronto to be like one of the cool Canadians. <laughs> you're Jewish. You're from Toronto. Drake is Jewish. He's from Toronto. What are your thoughts? <laughs> My thoughts are, I'm very proud to have a Toronto Jew, um, representing us and putting us on the map and I think is probably still the biggest figure people think of when they think of Toronto. Yeah. And, you know, he's also like a multifaceted Jew. I mean, I know he's problematic in certain ways, but he's a Jew of color. Mm -hmm. He grew up in different parts of Toronto. But, you know, also like he's an Ashkenazi Toronto Jew. So I also, I feel like, you know, we, we come from a similar shuttle. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I think that a lot of Torontonians are grateful for him because before him, we were most known for our mayor that was caught doing crack and now he's yes, passed away. Um, so, you know, <laughs> it was like after him, Drake blew up and we were like, yeah, thanks, because that was a rough time in our, our history. So those are my thoughts on Drake. You know, he's he's got his issues slipping into you know, younger girls DMs or mm-hmm. texting them or whatever. But all in all, I'm great. I, I think him, I think yeah, I'm grateful for him and, and the Raptors and, and everything he's done for the city. Well, yeah, I yeah. think it would That's be well remiss to not mention that almost the entire cast of Degrassi is Jewish as well. Um, I don't know. Oh, I didn't know that. Either <laughs> one of you guys are Degrassi heads like me, but truly that entire cast is like a Toronto Jewish person, which. That's so funny. I don't often think about that, but that is such a good point. Right? I like. I, I never knew that. Recently, tried to go back and watch all of Degrassi, and it's very hard to find. Like a lot of it is on YouTube, but the quality is not great. So, <laughs> good to know. In case anyone was planning on doing that, JC did it first. <laughs> it is good to know. Okay, so before we start talking about the movie, we just wanted to get to know you a little more. Can you explain what your Jewish upbringing was like? If you had a bat mitzvah, what the theme was, if you went to summer camp. Whoa, all, all at once, stuff. just this is. <laughs> I feel like it always like ends up becoming one answer anyway. So I figured I'd, I would just yeah. go for it. No, totally. It's good for context. Mm-hmm. Like, where do we all live within the like modern Jewish mm-hmm. uh, world? So the Toronto Jewish community, at least the Ashkenazi, you know, ref- 
kind of reform, slightly conservative community that I come from is really tight knit. Mm -hmm. And I grew up with a super large extended family. So even though I would say we probably grew up reform, we practiced so much Judaism because our family was so big growing up. So we would culturally, I would say it's super, super strong because in Canada, you don't often end up moving anywhere else. Like it's, there's only really three cities you can go to versus in America. I feel like the tradition is like to like go back home for Thanksgiving or Christmas or or the holidays. Like I feel like, and they, you know, you have an aunt in Ohio and like cousin LA and whatever. It's, it's not really like that here, although it is changing. I think, you know, travel gets so much easier. Um, so all to say that I grew up seeing my like large extended family all the time, like at brisses or bat mitzvahs or weddings or you know, so I feel really steeped in those traditions, even though growing up, we didn't ever talk about God or even like what the Torah teaches or like anything like that. And we went to services for the high holidays. Um, uh, and we did go to a conservative shul because we liked the rabbi more, but we were we still pretty reformed. So that's the community I come from. Mm-hmm. Um, I went to Jewish summer camp. Like a lot of the traditions were kept in place. Like I went to Jewish summer camp, had a bat mitzvah. The theme was like a move, the movies, you <laughs> of know, course. you know classically um, cliche. It was a cool bat mitzvah, though. I would say it was downtown at the Drake Hotel, which is like a fancy like club bar. Mm -hmm. So I think being in Toronto allowed me to have a, I don't know, my mom had an edge to the way she did it. But uh, yeah, super intense, super, not intense, super uh, cultural Jewish upbringing here, I would say. First of all, of course, your theme was movies. That's why you ended up where you are. Do you <laughs> remember specifically, like, did you have themed tables? Did you have your face in, like, a grease poster? Like, what was your Batmisfa aesthetic? Mm. Okay, so we had, so the kids were separated from the adults who were upstairs, and then eventually the adults went downstairs. Um, so for that. a while, it was just kids dancing with, like, the MC or whatever. We planned to have screenings of classic films throughout the night, but it just sort of stayed with one. Like that was a function that like no one kept switching and it was Chinatown (laughs) and which there's like a lot of like bloody and like also like they're like post sex scene scenes uh, in the film. And um, so that was happening. And then we had our like loot bags were like in plastic, like popcorn, old popcorn sort of um, containers that came with like, I think like a film postcard, but then I think also like knickknacks. And then the last thing that I think would make it like film themed uh, was that my mom got uh, this film critic in Toronto who I liked watching his like show at the time where he reviewed movies. And he often did it out of that venue, the Drake. She got him to film a little video being like, happy Bob and Emma. Like, That's cute. Because uh, at the time I had a little teen film blog. And so I was like trying to be a film reviewer. And uh, that, so that was pretty cool. But it wasn't like super intensely like movie themes, like the tables, because we don't really have tables. But yeah, I would say we we did it a little bit. We, yeah, it was, it was a good theme overall, I think. Yeah. That's so funny <laughs> about the little video that's like cameo before it was cameo oh my god you're right (laughs) I feel like we didn't have like a lot of I went to a lot of themed bar and bat mitzvahs that were like out of town but in my like friend group I remember it just being like the theme is party and it was just like (laughs) a lot of like bright colors and like glitter and there's always like a photo booth or like a caricature drawing or one person had puppies. Like what? that was like part of the entertainment. Wow. <laughs> they were just like wow. walking around the party, which if PETA knew, they would be up in arms. That would only happen on the West Coast. Yeah. There's no chance that would happen yeah. on the East Coast. Like that's so funny. That's the most ridiculous thing I've ever <laughs> oh, heard. That's wild. It was absurd. Wow. Emma, were a lot of your friends growing up Jewish or were they other religions? Yeah, like the elementary school I went to that was like, it's right down the block for me, I would say was like either between a third and a half Jewish, which was mostly pretty much, I think I, I don't know if I knew a Jew of color growing up. They were all Ashkenazi Jews, mm-hmm. uh, which I guess those aren't always the same thing. I shouldn't say that. Yeah, a lot of my friends were Jewish, I would say in elementary school, but then I went to like a different middle school that was like still kind of in my neighborhood, but like like further away. And then I went to a different high school. Um, so eventually I, my friends kind of changed based off the demographics mm-hmm. of where I was going to school. I was like one of the only... Jewish kids at my middle school, which was super tiny. It was like a very small art school. And then the high school, there were there was a handful of Jewish students, but it was like a really awesome high school that 
had so many different kinds of communities and like people from different backgrounds. And I would say there was always like a Jewish kid in each group as opposed to like a Jewish <laughs> group of friends. And I was that for my group. But yeah, I had a lot of Jewish friends growing up for sure. That's nice. And then it, I was just going to say in terms of camp, because I know you mentioned that you did go to camp. Are you still friends with any of those girls? And w- what was your camp experience like? Was that a sleepaway camp, four weeks, eight weeks? What's the tea? Yeah. Um, okay. So I went to camp for five years. It was sleep Jewish sleepaway camp. There's a region north of Toronto, very similar probably to like the Catskills or like I don't know if it's where, what's the, what's the deal in California? And it's where there's like literally like 20 different Jewish camps all within like a 15 minute drive from each other um, or like an hour drive from each other on different little lakes. You know, Northern Ontario is like beautiful. Um, I, my mom went to the same camp. My aunts went to the same camp as me. And then my dad went to a camp nearby. And the biggest, like his biggest regret of his life is that I didn't go to his camp because his camp is a little more down to earth and woodsy and chill. And slowly over time, my camp was bought over by one of the guys. The guy, There's like three, I would say, like big bat mitzvah, like party chains in mm-hmm. Toronto that at least at the time that did the MCs and did the like, you know, the part, the like mm-hmm. gift bags, whatever. And the guy who owned one of those and it was named after him bought the camp and the camp just slowly became kind of like, very like almost like resorty, mm. you know what I mean? Yeah. And less like not even like less woodsy because I wasn't like I need to be like canoeing this whole time, but it was just a little more like primped up and I really liked camp for the first few years. I would go, I think I went the first time for there was like the weekend one where you try and then I went for a month and then I went for started going for the whole summer for two months. But then it just slowly became like about boys mm-hmm. and like the da- the dances and stuff mm-hmm. like that, which I don't know if that's universal, but I was so insecure about my body and my I, I was like and my hair like was and like all this stuff. And I just like didn't like it. And I just sort of like missed when we were all just like running around, um, you know, like idiots. And <laughs> yeah, then I left. I left when I was 12. Um, and my sister left. She had been there nine years, but we were both so done with the camp. Wow, that's um, a long time. So, yeah. I mean, um, but that was my camp I experience. can pinpoint the summer that it changed, for me at least. It was like the summer, inter-summer going to national summer. That's what we call it in our group. So the summer going into seventh grade was for mm-hmm. us yeah. like when girls started showing up wearing like leggings as pants and like Mm -hmm. I just noticed that like a lot of girls were like way more advanced mentally and physically than I was (laughs) and everyone like wants to make out with boys and same I was like very insecure I was like so my mom hates when I say disgusting on this podcast because she thinks I was beautiful but like I really was like just having like an extreme awkward phase for like four summers in a row Mm -hmm. And somehow I made it through. I lasted, I did the camp thing for like 10 years, but there were a few summers there that I was like, this is not going to end well for me. But I I kept going. And also because my mom and my aunt also went to the camp that I went to. So keeping it in the family. (laughs) I do remember like noticing that I was becoming more and more insecure or like aware of myself as I was a camper longer because I was like comparing myself to all of my friends and people in my cabin who are all like these like cool, rich girls from LA and Mm -hmm. I'm from Arizona. And I was like, I felt like an outsider and they all had like their hardtail pants and they were wearing makeup. And I felt like I had a lot of catching up to do, but it was still fun, but it's definitely like, it can be so uncomfortable and awkward at camp because like, there's no escaping it. Like you can't go home to your parents at night. Yeah. Yeah. I think also like when the girls become like the clique who knows the boys the most, then it just like shapes the way the rest of the friend group is. Mm -hmm. Like I, like I had my, like my number ones, and then it was just all like, and then they just sort of like left me because I was like, not left me, but I've sounds so dramatic. <laughs> they left me. Um, but I totally, I, camp's expensive, you know, and for some Jewish families, they're like, I know, you know, for some Jewish families, it's nothing if they can 
if they're like well within their means, but then in, for others, it's like, you know, it's just a staple of like our cultural experience, mm-hmm. like as people. So it's not necessarily something that's easy for them to spend money on, but it's mm-hmm. important to like have your kids in nature or whatever for the summer. Mm-hmm. So there's totally class differences. And it's like very apparent what you just said. Like, it's like there was a, there was a change mm-hmm. when it became more about like what you were wearing and stuff. Juicy Couture was like a big yes. thing in my Absolutely. moment. Hardtail yeah. pants for sure. The ones that folded over and had like the red Mm -hmm, label. mm -hmm. I literally looked for those online like a week ago to see if they were still available. (laughs) And they're not. Because I'm like, I feel like they should make a comeback in quarantine. Because like obviously I'm never wearing jeans again. Right. Good. That's so true. Now that you're an adult, do you practice any like Jewish traditions? Like do you celebrate Shabbat? Or do you feel like you have to end up with like a Jewish person as your partner? That's such a good question. I mean, I feel like when I left my family to go to university in a a different place, I I went to New York, it was like, I never considered myself religious. I was like, I think like pretty proudly, you know, atheist um, for a minute, you know, as we all go through our phases Mm -hmm. of of challenging the status quo or whatever. Um, And I went to New York and was like, whoa, where are my people? Like, I just all of a sudden didn't feel like I had that built-in social network of all my cousins and stuff with me. And when I say cousins, I don't mean my first cousins. I mean, like, my mom's first cousins and, like, mm-hmm. first, second. Like, I don't really know the difference between, Same. you know, any, and I know what a first cousin is, but then everything else just gets confusing in terms mm-hmm. of what it's actually called. Um, just family. Anyway, so just family. And, um, I think slowly over time, I like tried to find my community within school and I couldn't really find it. And I just feel like I was always like searching for it. And then, you know, I think, you know, another thing about Toronto is that it's extremely Zionist, like hardcore Zionist. We have a March for Israel every year. I had to go around collecting bonds and donations. And like, you know, I did it through my shul. I did it through my camp. I did it through everything. And so I was also like, you know, I I was sort of looking for Jews who weren't, you know, blindly that way Mm -hmm. that, that had, you know, similar interests in sort of learning more about Israel anyway. So I think that I, my relationship to it now is I feel like in New York, I ended up finding more Jews who were like openly practicing, who like knew the prayers and like were looked like me and ate like me. And like, I was just so shocked because I think that their Canada's can sometimes be a little bit provincial. And I think, I don't want to say, I think this is a huge statement to say, so I want to be careful in saying this, but I think that in terms of any sort of difference in your identity to the status quo, there's a little bit of internalizing and there's a little bit of like sort of conforming and assimilation. And I definitely was not encouraged to say stuff like I heard my friends saying in New York, like, like, and I eventually joined this group called Jewish Voice for Peace, which is like a really wonderful activist organization. And I would hear my friends be like, Hashem, don't let it rain. And then I (laughs) once, when I was with my mom, said something like, I said Hashem, and she was like, don't say that. And I was like, why? And I feel like it was like her like childhood, like self being like, I can't say stuff like that, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, Now I actually feel like I'm in a place where I'm trying to learn more. And this is stuff that I never felt like I actually learned growing up. Or if I did, I don't remember because I wasn't interested when it comes to like the prayers you're supposed to do. I want to observe Shabbat. I don't. I do try to like observe Saturdays as like no work Mm -hmm. day, like I'm on my phone and like, you know, whatever. But I'm like, oh, this makes sense (laughs) in the structure. And I want to try to observe it. But I try to... I definitely want to like, um, I'm trying, you know, it's, I haven't gotten to it yet, but I would like to be able to slowly build over time, like more of a connection to the actual religion and the practices and understanding like what they're there for. And if they work for me, whether it be like the, you know, like to fill in, like, or whether it just be like Shabbats or, you know, like there's certain holidays I don't know anything about, like in terms of like what they mean, Mm -hmm. you know, there's so Um, many holidays. So that's where I'm at now. And then in terms of like a partner, I think I genuinely, generally, there it goes my quarantine word. <laughs> I'm generally more attracted to Jewish people than non-Jews. But I think that what I'm probably most interested in, whether Jewish or not, is someone who's like really attached to their cultural background. And that doesn't have to be Jewish. I feel like when someone's sort of like, I don't know, I'm kind of a little this, I'm kind of that, I don't really like... Mm-hmm. No, and and or, or just isn't even connected super deeply with their family, then it's like, it's not a turn off. I just can't connect with it as much. So that's so interesting. And I feel like I now wish speaking with other guests that we have asked them that question and we haven't, but 
I think the notion that we're just kind of automatically more attracted to Jewish people is so fascinating to me. And I don't, I mean, it's definitely Mm. not true for everyone. It was, it was true for me for a really long time until I was in a relationship with one Jewish guy and it has nothing to do with the fact that he was Jewish, but I just like kind of pinpointed things I didn't like about him and kind of attributed those things back to being Jewish. And then since Mm. that relationship, I'm only kind of attracted to non-Jewish guys, which like is totally, (laughs) you know, doesn't really make a whole lot of sense or, you know, I am not (laughs) proud of it, but... (laughs) <laughs> no, it totally does. Because then you see qualities within them that you see within your family and you're like, oh, yeah, like I want something else. Yeah, it's like, and you I know. think a lot of this is like not just Judaism, but it's about like which class you grew up in or which area you grew up in. But mm-hmm. I think like for me, when I go home and I love this about my family and I love this about my mom, but like she'll still do my laundry. And that's like, I feel like a very Jewish <laughs> mom thing to do. And like, uh-huh. If I date a guy who is used to having their mom do their laundry, though, like, that's a turnoff. Mm-hmm. Even though I can relate. Yeah. It's just, you know. That's so true. I never thought about that. Yeah. It's funny. I feel like as I get older, I become more attracted to Jewish people. Whereas when I was younger, I was just, like, wanted to rebel. And also, like, there weren't mm-hmm. a ton of Jewish guys that I grew up with anyway. But now as I'm, like, thinking about what my priorities are... And like looking for a long-term partner as I get older. Like maybe I do want to marry a Jewish guy, but also I'm like, that's such a small circle of people. Like if you're limiting yourself to only Jews, yeah. The it's slim pickings. Totally. I agree with that. I think, yeah, there's that sort of like male Jewish stereotype of like having their ass wiped with the women <laughs> in their life. And it goes from their mom to their wife. Um <laughs> And I'm definitely like, oh my God, is that just going to be me? Am I just going to end up with one? I mean, I'm bisexual, so I often am like, well, I'll just marry a Jewish woman. But then I'm like, you know, it's not that easy, you know, and you're right. It is limiting. Mm-hmm. We're not that many people. <laughs> yeah. So I, I hear you. I'm open to everybody, but I do know that on like a gut level that I am just more attracted to them. I think. Yeah. But it works against me too. Cause I'm like, oh no, I really don't want that. <laughs> exactly. You know? No, it's funny. Cause like all of my, not even celebrity crushes, but like my pie in the sky, like random people <laughs> that I'm obsessed with or like have crushes on are all Jewish. And my boyfriend always makes a comment about it. He's always like, you only like Jewish guys. And I'm like, well, I'm literally dating you and you're not. <laughs> so like, I feel like in my book, as long as you're open to learning about my culture and religion and like, will happily mm-hmm. participate yeah. in Kippur and Passover and whatever. Yes. Like, yeah, great. I agree with that. That's that's exactly how I feel. Like, as long as I can, like, you know, continue to be me and, like, practice things and, and have a partner that's, like, also, like, willing to participate but doesn't have to, like, you know, fully engage, like, that's just, uh, that's all that's important to me, I think. Totally. So should we talk about the movie? Yes. Okay, I have a confession <laughs> Both JC and I have seen the short. I was talking to a friend the other day and she randomly brought this up and she she works in at a talent agency. And she was like, I just watched this movie, Shiva Baby. And I was like, oh my God, I'm interviewing the filmmaker in a couple of weeks. And she was like, oh, do you want to watch it? And I was like, yeah. <laughs> so I apologize. I don't know if I was supposed to watch it, but I did. And I loved it. But JC has not. I was not able to see it because I'm not friends with the elite people that Jessica is friends with. But I did watch the short. But Jess will have more detailed questions for you than I will have. And that's just how it's going to be. That's fine. I'm so glad you watched it. I'm curious to know the link that you got it on. But (laughs) yeah, it's okay. We can talk about that offline. (laughs) Sure, sure. It's not being circulated throughout the industry. Don't worry. It was just a a coincidence, I think. I'm just curious because we're we're only sending out expiring links. So I'm like, if it was one of it those, expired. Totally yes. fine, but, uh, it expired. Yes, it expired. Oh, okay, great. Okay, so that's totally Just yeah. text me <laughs> at like, it was happy. like 12 p.m. on like Monday or something. It was like, I got a link, but it expires at three. And I was like, fuck, <laughs> I have work. I'm sorry, I can't watch. I was like, you got to do it. <laughs> I got guess you. we'll start with the short since we can all talk about the short. Yes. I, I mean, it's a fantastic idea. I just... First and foremost, what was the inspiration behind it? Well, so I made the short uh, as my thesis, as my final project in film school. And 
I wanted, I had more ambitious ideas to do something really crazy and out of this world. And I think a lot of seniors do. But then, you know, I sort of was encouraged to find something more achievable and in terms of budget, but also in terms of story and whatever. And for me, I think that that meant setting it in the Jewish community, or at least my community, because then the dialogue could like just come really naturally. And because I understood the world so well and the characters and all the dynamics and all that stuff. So that's sort of where the Jewish part came in and just trying to like make a good final project and, 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 you know, not have to question like, oh, who are these characters and where do they come from? So that was that part. And then, you know, there were a lot of sugar babies um, at NYU where I went to school and I'll, some of them were my friends. And it was just a huge part of like student life there, as well as just the elements that go into sugaring. Like, online dating and college debt. And like, so if you, even if you weren't a sugar baby, you like understood so much about it and how it worked and like why someone would be very drawn to it, you know, within your age group, gender. And uh, I was just super curious about it. And I thought that putting a young woman at a shiva uh, or any family event for that matter, but specifically for me at a shiva would be funny because it's like, you know, you're confronting your internal insecurities, you know, about sexuality, but also like, your family insecurities and your community's expectations of you and all of that stuff. And I, I picked a Shiva specifically because I think, uh, and I don't know if you can relate to this within your families, but for me, they feel like even though someone's died, the conversation topics are the exact same. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, there's just as much like boundary crossing and like bragging and like lots of love too, lots of like happiness as well. Um, but I just always find it funny that despite the fact that someone's died, the vibe isn't that different. And I just always thought there was like an inherent contrast in the way that people sort of hung out um, and schmoozed, um, you know, at the shivas that I went to as a kid. So that's where the idea was born from. And we should clarify for anyone who doesn't know or is not familiar with the film. It's basically about a young woman who is a sugar baby and runs into her sugar daddy at a shiva. And a shiva is a Jewish uh, period of mourning after someone dies. It's usually for seven days. There are all these rules about purifying yourself and wearing certain clothing and covering mirrors. And then there's just like a ton of food always. So much food. Mm -hmm. Which is the best mm -hmm. part, I think. Yes, definitely. The only shivas I've really been to are my my own grandfather, in which I did not eat anything because I was like so depressed I like couldn't eat anything. Mm -hmm. Or someone that I was just like swinging, swinging by, so I like wasn't trying to stay that swinging long. Swinging by, <laughs> I actually haven't like experienced the full like feasting that sh that is the shiva, totally. and I'm not hoping to anytime soon. But. Yeah, no, it's definitely a stress eating thing, which I think is so specific mm -hmm. to our culture. Mm -hmm. It's not like we're we're not the Irish; we don't drink away our sorrows. We we eat we eat them. Exactly. Um, <laughs> I grew up doing a lot of the swinging. But like, mm -hmm. let's stop by, mm -hmm. you know, if I was going to dance class or something after my dad would pick me up, he'd be like, I got to stop by the Shiva, like that kind of thing. Because our community is just so right. tight knit here. Everyone knows everyone from camp or this or that and even jobs and whatever. Um, but my aunt passed away when I was a freshman. And that was the first time as an adult and the only time since um, that I've done the full seven days. So there was a lot of eating in there. And I think that that experience sort of just doing the full seven days allowed me to kind of observe more, uh, you know, tidbits of conversation and yeah. stuff like that, mm -hmm. that I didn't really, I was too young to understand when my grandparents had died and I did those shivas. But lots of eating. Honestly, ours was so reformed. Like we never cover mirrors. Okay. We never, it's basically just like a party. Like it's like not, <laughs> like it's like not a party, but it's like, it's a, just a gathering. And you know, there's still the service part. Like, you know, like when you mm -hmm. have the rabbi or the cantor do the service in a certain area, like mm -hmm. the afternoon and the night. Um, but it was almost like a catered event. Yeah. Like there were like, like, like yeah. it wasn't like the typical, you know, Hamish show, like I'm bringing over like. I don't know, a casserole. I'm bringing over this because usually at Chivas, I feel like traditionally that's what happens. The community brings over food that they've made. Um, but for us, it wasn't. I guess there was a little bit of that, but it was also kind of like, is this a like a seven-day like law conference? Because my aunt was a, a a huge judge within the Toronto community and she was also quite young. So 
a lot of her peers were still alive to visit, to go to the funeral and, and visit the Shiva. Anyway, it kind of, yeah, I was like, this kind of feels like a law conference, sort of like, uh, <laughs> I don't know. It was a different vibe. Um, <laughs> was the yeah. Shiva at your house or at her house? Yeah. It was at her house. Um, so, you know, it, it was the, her, the immediate family that, you know, my uncle, it was, it, it, it was his house. I think I think he still lives there um, and, and her kids. Yeah. It's interesting. I've only been to a handful of shivas, but I do think the circumstances like surrounding the death and the age of the person kind of dictate what kind of shiva it will be. But it's interesting in the film, that's not so important. It's more about the like interactions between the people who are there, which I really liked because it wasn't like, I didn't feel sad or depressed while I was watching it, which I was sort of like, was nervous about before because I I do tend to shy away from films and TV shows that will make me feel really sad. That's why I watch a lot of like rom-coms and garbage. <laughs> <laughs> me too. We, Jess and I were talking about um, how accurate it was that everyone in the film kept commenting on her weight, but then also encouraged her to keep eating, which is the most perfect painted picture of what Judaism is in in my eyes. Yeah. I mean, well, thank you. It's like, I think, unfortunately, the worst stereotype, but also like the truest of our, our people. I'm sure it's similar in other ways. Like I recognize like that sort of thing in my big fat Greek wedding a little bit. Like, mm-hmm. you know, like I don't I don't think it's necessarily like specific to Judaism, but it is the thing that I found the most annoying mm-hmm. growing up. As much as there's like so much love and so many like good stereotypes and good traditions and stuff like that and, and little cultural sort of tendencies, that's one that I, especially when I started losing a lot of weight, just like as a natural sort of process of growing up, of like becoming a young, like going from, I don't know, shutting my baby. That like did not happen to me. It was like, what's going on? (laughs) Congrats, muzzles. Jealous of you both. (laughs) Thank you. But it it creates like, like sounding alarms when that happens. Mm -hmm. People are like, because I was always a chubby kid. Not chubby, like I I guess a healthy plump child. That's now the way I like say chubby Mm -hmm. is like, I was, I was a healthy plump kid. And so forever, that's how my family knew me. And then when I started losing weight, it was like, what is happening? It was just, it was worry. It was immediately like deathly concern, which over time just really frustrated me. (laughs) It's funny now that you mentioned that it reminds me, I do have some family members who will be like, your head hurts. You have a headache. Do you think maybe you should go to a doctor? Do you think maybe it's something worse? I'm like, oh my God. Like now I thought, like I thought I had just a, a headache and now I think I have a brain tumor or they're like, Every time. you're losing a lot of weight. You're too skinny. I mean, I know you've been working out a lot, but maybe do you think something else is going on? And you're like, well, now that you've planted that idea in my head. <laughs> yes. It's so true. So much like just neurotic, like uh, catastrophizing. And also I would say just a fair amount of talking about their bodies, their checkups, Mm -hmm. their colonoscopies. Mm -hmm. Like I don't know any other community when I like go visit my friends Thanksgiving or this or that. Even the really like ones that I find very similar to Jewish communities, like Italian, Greek. The big hairy ones. I have never heard (laughs) Yeah, the big hairy ones. I've never heard them be like, well, my cousin had that. And, uh, you know, it's really bad. And when he went to the doctor, they found that in his um, anus. Like, it's like, I feel like (laughs) there's just so much oversharing. And it's, but it's so second nature. Like, even when I go to like Starbucks, I'm like, immediately, I'm like, they're Jewish. Like, if I hear that in conversation, I'm able to like, know that that's, that's who's talking. No matter what family function it is, I can always count on there being some talk about barfing or pooping or like someone's (laughs) constipated. It's usually me. And maybe because I started, I'm not sure, but (laughs) always, always without fail. The other thing that really resonated with me and was honestly kind of triggering was Danielle's parents constantly meddling in her professional life and her career and trying to do the work for her and trying to be like, oh, who do we know that could get you a job that works in this industry? That to me was like so spot on. Is that something that you experienced a lot or you continue to experience? Yeah, I think that I only really experienced that a ton at family events. Like Mm -hmm. I feel like my parents are really supportive of the arts and 
the fact that I always wanted to pursue film. I would say my mom probably a little more than my dad, only because my dad was like, you need a profession to rely on. Mm-hmm. And so I think that it, when it came to communicating what I was trying to do to my family and how I was going to make money... I don't really think my parents like meddled in too much, but I had to figure out a way to explain it to people. Like until my film was literally at TIFF this year, because, and I'm from Toronto. So like my family's like, oh, TIFF, I know TIFF. I still had to be like, I still had to kind of justify the fact that I was babysitting and trying to make a film at the same time. They were like, and we're all in the same, we're all in the same business. So Mm -hmm. you guys would understand like the sort of when you're like, like they wanted me to say like, I want to go be an assistant for at a production company or, or, you know, whatever it is. And I tried to get those jobs after graduation. I didn't anyway. And so I do feel like there was a little bit of explaining, but I think my sister often had that too. We always joked about, what is our soundbite when we go into these functions? I wouldn't say my parents like meddled. My dad did a little bit. He didn't really do it at events, but he'd be like, you know, Shirley's cousin, you know, he does lighting for film. (laughs) And you're like, okay, like, you know, like it's, they certainly would try to help. I was probably a lot more resistant to it than Danielle is in the film. Um, I was just like, you don't know what you're talking about. Mm -hmm. Like whenever those suggestions would come up. But yeah, I, I feel like I had to do that kind of translating people. What What do you guys, do you, do you have that in your family? Absolutely. Absolutely. I feel like the, and I'm so grateful for everyone that's tried to help me in my career and have actually helped me. But exactly, a lot of the time when you talk to family members, even take this podcast, for example. Last Passover, I was like talking about starting this podcast And everyone was like, oh, you need to just go, you need to talk to Howard Stern. Like, he will help you. And it's like, (laughs) how in God's name am I going to get a hold of Howard Stern? They're like, well, you work in Hollywood. Just, like, send this agent an email. And it's like, dude, that's not, like, thanks for the advice. But, like, just sometimes it's it's very, very annoying. (laughs) Yeah. It comes from a good place. Uh, uh, yeah. It comes from a good place. It totally does. You're so right. I do have things where I'm like, oh, if that weren't for my family, I wouldn't have met that person that did end up helping me. Mm-hmm. So it does. It does. There's pros and cons to it. But yeah, you get your fair share of the like, you need to contact Sarah Silverman. She's in comedy. <laughs> she She's in the movies. And I'm like, I don't. Or like Seth Rogen. He's a Canadian Jew. And I'm like, okay, I... We literally could not be further apart for me in terms of like degrees of separation. I so um <laughs> I feel like the generation <laughs> above us thinks that because Twitter and Instagram exist, we can just reach out to these people and we totally can. We can reach out all we want. We can DM them. The chances yeah. of a response are quite low. I was just gonna say you have a limited number of chances to connect with people and reach out with them. You don't wanna like yes. burn all of them. The first time you're trying to get a job, like you have to be a little strategic about it. Yeah, because then you run into them one day and you're like, I emailed you 14 times (laughs) over the years, you know, like being like, can we get coffee and like give me advice or whatever? Um, Can you explain like how a sugar baby relationship works? Because I don't really, I don't think I know anyone. I know one girl who's like informally a sugar baby, but that's about it. JC, do you know anyone? I met... I met a girl once through a friend that like was putting herself through grad school and was like on the sugar baby websites and had used it to make connections a few times. But I really like don't know her personally and like can't speak to her story. I think that what I try to remind myself is that there's a huge range when it comes to like sugar baby, sugar daddy or mama or couple Mm. uh, relationships. I mean, primarily, you know, I think like historically, it's the like older man with the younger woman. Um, And I think that it also depends on where you are. Like, I think the LA kind of sugar baby, sugar daddy is almost like undefined by labels. I feel like there's, you know, just historically like a kind of relationship that is more financially set up for an older man to be like paying for your plastic surgery or paying for your, you know, clothes and doing that. And so it's like, That is certainly a traditional form of the sugar daddy relationship. In New York, where I went, it was a lot more, a lot more of these relationships were transactional and sort of leaning more on the sex work side. Um, I still think that there are all the friends that I know who do it. There is an element of companionship that I think goes beyond like calling up a a traditional sex worker, having sex and leaving. It, It totally depends though. Like, so seeking arrangement is a huge 
site and app that facilitates these relationships. And I think is is definitely the reason, along with other websites that I don't know, I can't think of the name of Sugar right now. Sugar, there's tons, but I think that that's what's totally made it so accessible to like people who would have otherwise not even thought about it at all. Mm-hmm. So typically, you know, you create a profile, there's at least on Seeking Arrangement, you can get a premium account with a, with a student email, mm. um, a student email address. And then, you know, the sugar daddies or mamas, traditionally daddies have like their net worth listed. They're like, if they're their marriage status, they're like tons of stuff. And then, you know, you have your dating profile, what you're looking for, whatever. And sometimes you figure out the arrangement, you know, via messaging them. It's like, what are you looking for? Blah, blah, blah. I think there's like vague ways to put it sometimes, you know, like I need help through school or whatever. And then I I think, you know, sometimes I think it gets worked out on there. Sometimes you transition to text or calling. And then sometimes, you know, you just go meet them in person. It's like, what do you want? What do I want? Whatever. Um, It's like a business deal. I don't, and, and I think often on the female side, I don't know any friends who felt this way, but there's, they think there it's, it's a genuine relationship. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like a romantic, loving relationship. I had one friend who was in a situation like this and the dude seriously wanted to marry her wow. and he met her parents and all this stuff. And she felt so like, I'm not attracted to him, but I feel so supported by him, which over time does create a bond. You're like, they're so ex- you know, depending on who it is, like can be really excited to see your career blossom, mm-hmm. to support you, to like, especially if they're older, there is sort of this parent relationship where they're giving you advice and whatever. Um, but after a while, she was like, I just can't, I'm not attracted to him. Like she just like couldn't do it on an instinctual level, on a physical level. Um, That's fascinating. So anyway, they range. And then I know a lot of people where it's just like, they're just trying to, they're looking for sex workers so on both ends. They're looking to just kind of have it be more simple and transactional. So so there's a range. And I think college debt and the amount of wealth in New York contribute to it. there being a high population there. But they're popular in every city on, you know, a lot of college campuses. So it goes beyond New York. But that's the community that I was most familiar with. I was just going to say, I could talk about this all day. Like, I've watched many documentaries and have done a lot of reading on it just because I think it's super fascinating and like I know there are some guys who look for like the GFE which is the girlfriend experience and then some guys who are just literally Mm -hmm. there to have sex with younger women and I know a lot of girls will go on there and like not use their real name Um, but then it just depends Mm -hmm. it just totally depends and you're right there's a huge range of individuals on those sites and lots of options for anyone who's interested so it's interesting because when i was watching the movie i was like oh my god i cannot imagine a nice jewish girl being a sugar baby and then her parents like having to be confronted with that like that is just the worst thing you could do as a jewish child to your parents i mean without giving away too much of the movie i felt like she was doing it to kind of assert herself and to be independent and to establish her own identity and that doesn't always jive with what your parents want. So that to me was like really eye-opening too, because I'm not that familiar with sugar babies or sex work or of that industry, because I just feel like it's so taboo within the Jewish community. That's such a, that's such a good point. I do think that that's one thing that despite Jewish communities, at least the ones I come from being super liberal when it comes to other things, like, and, and generally pretty left, I mean... Uh, on, you know, certain things that they don't push, but generally like LGBTQ rights, like, uh, uh, you know, they're, they're, I think that like, I can say that a lot of my family uh, is extremely, uh, extremely liberal. Um, but that's one thing that I, I think is just generationally, my mom even do- doesn't budge on, like, like they totally don't support sex work or decriminalizing it or destigmatizing it even. I think there's different reasons people get into it. I have one friend who is Jewish and, and comes from a similar kind of background as me who does it and her need to be independent is what drove her to do that. And she was just like, I cannot live with my suffocating Jewish parents anymore. Like I, and, and I think she enjoys it too. And it gives her a sense of empowerment. And, you know, it's not like something you need to resort to, but that was the main motivation for her um, to, to be financially independent. So, but it is specific, like to have a nice Jewish girl sort of doing it. It's kind of like, why or what's going on here? It's not the same as, as everybody else. As someone who formerly worked in casting, 
We, <laughs> Jess and I were curious about, well, first of all, Rachel Sennett is a fantastic stand-up. I like know of her through the comedy world and she's, she's wonderful. Um, but she, playing the lead in this film as a Jewish woman, is not Jewish. Diana mm-hmm. Agron, who is Jewish, plays a waspy character. And we were just curious what kind <laughs> of feedback, if any, you were getting um, about those choices. You know, I haven't gotten anyone so far that's been like, why was the lead not Jewish? Like, um, why did you have Diana Agron playing a non-Jewish character, um, etc.? You know, I will say that I try to have as many Jews as possible in this movie. Like, I... Definitely think that's important when you're telling a Jewish story, especially when it's super specific. I, Rachel was in the short film and, you know, I think both when you're making shorts in school and then also when you're making extremely low budget indies, you do not have the world at your disposal when it comes to casting. It's, I, you know, I wouldn't, although I'm not trying to like squeeze my way out of this question, I don't think it's the same as a Maisel or something else that is extreme, is made for a huge budget. And so I, I just needed to keep Rachel from the short because she made it so much her own and she put such a stamp on mm-hmm. it. And she comes from a big Italian family. And I think when it comes to the character, it felt more important to me that she understood what it was like to go home and not have your relatives understand what you do to comment on your weight, et cetera. A lot of the things that we're talking about here, that felt more important to me than, at least when I was making the short, you know, than the, the, the religious identity being the same. And then, so it just felt super important for me to keep her. But knowing that the lead in this was not going to be played by a Jew, it felt important to me to stack up the rest of the cast with Jewish actors. And our casting director was Jewish and from New York. So she really turned to the theater community. And I think overall in New York, I should say, it just felt important to me to have Jewish energy (laughs) on set and a lot of like ancestors looking down Mm -hmm. on us. Like I, I didn't, a lot of our crew wasn't Jewish. I pretty much only had one, like our producer, Lizzie, who's from Boca Raton, Florida was like my rock when it came to like, is this accurate? Like, am I crazy? Or like, do these sandwiches look totally off? Like, um, but <laughs> in terms of the cast, like, yeah, it felt important that like, it, if, like Polly Draper's not Jewish. She plays the mom, but she's married to a Jew and she's, you know, her sons are she half Jewish. So mm-hmm. I, she gets the vibe. Yeah. Like, I, I think it's different when someone's like, what I grew, like, I have no idea what this community is like. So I tried my best, you know, to like Fred Malamud is because it just felt important to me to have Jewish actors in the movie, like Diana Agron playing the the Waspy character, I was just like, oh my God, great. Like, because she can still relate to this world. And her mom had converted to Judaism and got a lot of flack for that. And not flack, but, you know, a lot of like, well, you're not really Jewish. Mm-hmm. Um, and even Diana, because her mom isn't, or because her mom converted, uh, always gets that still. I don't know if she gets that in her community or her family, but she gets the like, well, you're not really Jewish. Okay, and yes. like, your features aren't really Jewish. And I was like, that's so fun um, that we get to have you in this movie when that's the world that you come from. I think it's such an important question to ask. Like, what are your, what do you think when you're casting these kinds of stories? I think it probably is the same for any sort of specific cultural movie or, or, or story. I feel like there's no right answer. It's really hard when you're in that position where you're figuring out who your cast is. And it's not just about, you know, you don't just have like your pick of the litter. It comes down to like money, scheduling, their interest in working with you. You know, there's a million different factors. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, it's something that I do feel like slightly disappointed by in this process, although I don't regret it at all, is that neither Rachel nor Molly Gordon, who plays Maya, are queer. Mm. And that was something that I was like, I'm so grateful we're working with Molly, that we worked with Molly. She's, she's Jewish. Molly was so fantastic. I loved working with her. And I thought, with Maya, I was like, she either has to be Jewish or queer, like as an actor, like that mm-hmm, is, mm-hmm. you know, I, or both, ideally both, but I like really don't even, I, and yeah, who do you get mm-hmm. that is of note, that has been in other things, so that's exciting, um, that wants to do it. And I think ultimately I'm super happy she, we we worked with her for so many reasons, but as, but I think it offset Rachel not being Jewish, <laughs> you know, uh, in terms of that relationship. Um, it's all about balance. Uh, so, yeah, it's all about balance. Um, and you, you got to sort of, you can't die on every hill. You got to choose your battles. Yeah. There is a queer love story in there as well. But I just thought it was really funny how her parents are like accepting of it, but like don't really acknowledge it. Was that intentional? <laughs> I think that goes back to kind of what we were talking about before of like this sort of like liberal 
attitude of like East Coast Jews or a lot of Jewish communities probably um, that are accepting of so many things, but not when it's their own mm-hmm. kid and not even not accepting. It's just, I think that, yeah, I, my family grew up super like supporting of LGBTQ rights. And then when I came out, it was like, not they, they were totally still accepting of it, but they were just like confused. And like, definitely, I think where I noticed the discomfort wasn't talking about it with other people or not talking about it especially within our community. Mm -hmm. So that was intentional, but I tried to not make it super intense because, you know, I think I'm getting tired of seeing a lot of queer characters not accepted in their worlds. And and I overall, for the most part, am and and feel so supported and stuff. So I didn't want to like overdo it, but um, that is a dynamic that I notice. Less less now, but more when I was sort of coming into myself. That makes a lot of sense. But now they sort of get it. That's good. <laughs> and I have this movie too. So people yeah. are like, yeah, okay. That's <laughs> this makes sense. Well, Emma, this was so much fun. Thank you so much this for being here. So much Thank fun. you so much for taking the time and like during this crazy, I want to say like crazy <laughs> motherfucking week to talk to us. Um, it was so great to have you. I I mean, this film is going to be quite successful. I just know it. Um, you have something really Thank special. You. Yeah. I'm, I'm excited to see the full version, even though Jess has already seen it. <laughs> I'm excited to see all of your future films and everything else you work on. It's I feel like it's such an exciting time in your career. Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah, thank you guys so much for having me on the show. I never get to like, not never, but I rarely get to talk about the intricacies of like modern Jewish millennial choices or or trends or whatever it is and um this is so much fun to to talk about yeah thank you for having me and for your support of the film and of me of course hell yeah thanks again for joining us emma and you can find her on instagram at emma seligman that's emma with three m's be sure to check out the short shiva baby and then the full-length feature once it becomes available we'll keep you guys posted on details if you're a fan of the show, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts or listen for free on Spotify. And don't forget to rate and review us, unless you're going to give us a one-star review, in which case, keep it moving. Follow us on Insta at PrayForUsPod, and if you feel like it, you can send us a note at PrayForUsPod at gmail.com. Shabbat shalom! This podcast has been mastered and mixed by the one and only Josh Fisher. Yay, Josh. We love you, Josh. <laughs> <laughs>